1978 Halloween. I really want to get your take on this because I know you're this is probably the only slasher movie you really like, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Black Christmas, which preceded this, uh, Bob yeah. Clark's film, I liked. Psycho, I liked. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I, I I don't know if I would say I liked it, but I certainly respect it. It's an impressive piece of filmmaking. And this is, too. Uh, I don't think I would rate it as John Carpenter's best film. Uh, I think I like The Thing and uh, Escape from New York and Big Trouble in Old China a little bit better. I enjoyed them more. But I enjoyed this because of its uh, simplicity. Uh, you know, it, we've spoken so much recently about how uh, the key to successful horror movies is very often not telling the audience everything, you know, leaving a little to the imagination. It's kind of a cliche. You know, you hear that said all the time about Val Luton's films, uh, that the imagination of the audience is uh likely to come up with something more frightening than what the filmmaker can show. Yeah. But in this case, it seems to me that the great uh, affection that everybody has for this film is probably due to the fact that it is has wonderful atmosphere, a wonderful Halloween atmosphere, autumnal quality. And there's so much time spent with that, going through the streets and with the leaves falling. You know? And I understand they shot this at the wrong time of year, so there were no brown leaves falling. They had to paint the leaves. Yeah, well, they actually filmed it in California, so that was the other problem. Yes, yeah, look down the street and you see palm trees in the back. <laughs> <laughs> they also have the outdoor uh, hallways, or uh, the schools have that unusual thing with outdoor passageways yeah. for, for the kids. So the, I guess their lockers are in uh, outdoors, but. Um, but that atmosphere, despite the fact that it was shot in California, does, it's remarkably effective in creating that atmosphere of uh, all and the, the pleasures of Halloween and that sort of feeling of anticipation that you have as a child on Halloween night. That's all there. And uh, so it, it makes it a very pleasant experience. And I guess that's why it was so successful, because this was a movie that, uh, people really don't like these type of movies yeah. to go to and enjoy. It, the violence is really very minimal. There's no gore to speak of, really. Yeah, very little blood. Very little, yeah. And I guess the only thing that they really had to worry about for television was cutting out P.J. Soul's tits. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's, it was actually quite savvy on the part of, of Carpenter and the, whoever the producer was, I forget his name, uh, to come up with something that was uh there would always be a time in the year where people would want to watch this yeah and it was ready to go right onto television i mean with very minimal editing the breast shots could easily be you know masked uh some of the shots her breasts are right at the bottom of the screen so it's just a question of reframing the shot you know so that uh, you could eliminate the nipples and the gore as far as i can see it's practically nothing, you know. I suppose I haven't. I didn't watch the television version again. Uh, I just watched the theatrical version. Yeah. But probably the strongest thing is when he nails the guy up to the uh, to the wall. To the, the wall, yeah, it'd probably be. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how they got around that in the in the uh, TV version, but I see they shot a lot of additional stuff when they were shooting Halloween two. They uh, shot a bunch of additional stuff that could be included in the television release of Halloween 1. Right. And when you see that stuff, you realize 
uh, how unnecessary, uh, you know, any sort of extraneous stuff is. They really did get it just right by sticking just to the most important things and avoiding going off on tangents. That long scene with uh, 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 Donald Pleasance talking to, uh, to the two heads of the uh, hospital that uh, Michael Myers is being transferred into. That's really just dead air, you know. Yeah. There's nothing going on there at all, and the and it almost seems like they're intentionally slowing down their delivery to stretch the scene out as long as <laughs> <Yeah>. possible. <laughs> Thing could be said of that scene with Jamie Lee Curtis talking to uh, B.J. Souls. Apparently, Jamie Lee Curtis had had her hair shortened; uh, she had a shorter hairstyle when they shot that, so she has a towel wrapped around her head. But that's a completely superfluous scene, right? It even ends with her standing by the door for what it feels like several minutes uh, singing. Yeah. You know, that's <laughs> just uh, stretching the soup. And I guess that was necessary because whatever little edits that they had to make for uh, standards and practices on television uh, meant that they had to put something in to bring it up to a two-hour running time, you know. So I guess those little extra scenes did the trick. But simplicity is what makes Halloween work. Yeah, I think that's what makes this my favorite slasher movie. And Michael Myers is my favorite slasher because there's, especially when I'm talking about just this one, once you get into part two and how he's related to her and and you get into the later sequels where he's, you know, being resurrected by the thorn cold. I'm just like, I don't care about (laughs) all that. This one here, this, the, the simplicity of like, He's just a, he's just a guy that kills people. That's right. all you need to know. <laughs> it, it, at the end, when Doctor Loomis says, uh, "Well, uh, Laurie Strode says, uh, was he the boogeyman?" and uh, Donald Pleasant says, uh, "As a matter of fact, he was." Yeah, that really sums up the whole movie as a kind of um, uh, urban uh, folklore tale. Uh, it's it doesn't the explanation really is unnecessary that the movie's existence is uh, justified by that punchline yeah uh, at the end you realize there are not gonna there aren't gonna be no answers here uh, <laughs> and as they show you the different uh, shots of the house at the very end and you hear michael myers breathing become uh, more and more uh, omnipresent and and sort of abstract it sounds uh, filtered in some way yeah. as if he's everywhere you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, that really is, uh, in a way, uh, uh, sort of telling the audience, this is not meant to be taken literally, you know, we're not supposed to know all the details. In the same way that uh, The Fog was sort of presented as a, a tale told around the campfire to children. Yeah. Uh, that's what this is. It's uh, a tale told to scare babysitters into not sleeping with their boyfriends with their boyfriends yeah well also i think it also kind of goes along with the other sort of urban legends the razor blade and the candy and all that stuff that you know the boogeyman's going to kill you in halloween you know just seems like it kind of goes along with that a little bit too and it does also anticipate uh i guess clive barker wrote the original story for candy man yeah, uh, and now we have, of course, uh, Slender Slender Man and, yeah. <laughs> and other uh, what do they call them? Creepy pasta. Creepy pasta. Yeah. Uh, th- that same thing is you, you get enough detail about uh, the background of this strange creature, 
to be intrigued by it and to be sort of scared by it. Yeah. But you don't, it, there's no logical information. It's all information that's on the level of uh, almost like QAnon type stuff, you know? Yeah. So, so you just have to accept, <laughs> oh, JFK's coming back too. <laughs> and uh, in this case, it's all done for pleasure. I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a pretty brutal film. It has a, a certain wit to it, of course, and it's impressive filmmaking, but it's very uh, grim you know, and, and uh, hard to watch. Uh, this is a pleasant film. This is a pleasant yeah. slasher <clears throat> film. Uh, and I, I'm like sort of intrigued by the fact that uh, a character like this, Michael Myers, who is a, who kills his sister and ends up in a mental institution and is clearly a fucked up person, yeah. that, that once he puts on black jumpsuit and the William Shatner mask, he becomes everybody's ideal uh, cool serial killer. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> you know? And I guess the music helps. That music always helps to. to oh, make... yeah, it's a great, great score. But to, uh, why do you suppose that is? Why do you suppose that, particularly among certain folks, they have a certain uh, affection and admiration for that character? What do you think it is? I mean, my theory, uh, I don't know if you would agree with this is if you're trying to understand why people think he's cool, all you have to do is look at who he's killing. Yeah. Uh, it may be sort of a revenge of the nerds type thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> because the uh, the characters, we, we, I think we were just talking in the last episode about, how, uh, one of the most recent episodes about how so many of the uh, 80s movies were teenage sex comedies and how the tropes that you saw in teenage sex comedies sort of infected all the other genres that right, you yeah. see elements of those teenage, teenage sex comedies in like horror movies, like slasher movies. And that's true here, although the teenage sex comedy, uh, you know, uh, the popularity of that genre hadn't really exploded yet. But here we have the, the babysitter arriving in the van, right. right, with the beer cans and the boyfriend. And, and apparently, uh, these kids exist in a world where, even you ha as a babysitter, you really don't have any responsibilities. You basically just show up with your beer and, and screw around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And the parents never reach out. It's sort of like almost like a peanuts level view of of adults. You know, they the they don't go so far as to have the adults talking and mop 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 voice. But all all of the adults in the film seem kind of distanced Distant, and yeah. they're almost like <clears throat> almost like uh, caricatures or uh, uh, symbols uh, for adults uh, uh, her dad uh, uh, I guess it's, is it PJ Soul's dad no it's the other other uh, the other girlfriend whose father is the sheriff yeah the cop yeah yeah the sheriff yeah or a cop whatever he is he almost comes across as being a little creepy a little bit, yeah. You know, he's uh, the first time we meet him. He uh, he is standing uncomfortably close to Laurie Strode, right? I mean, she bumps into him in the street, and then he's like grinning. And you know, uh, I I was wondering when I first saw this movie if that was going to be uh, sort of a subplot that he he was a handy guy, you know. <laughs> right. But they don't go there. Uh, you know, they don't go, go there. They uh, other adults other than Dr. Loomis, are all pretty 
uh, empty and and there you know there there's not there's no dimension to them at all. I mean, you could argue that there's no real dimension to Doctor Loomis either. He shows up as a fanatic and he ends up as a fanatic and yeah. there's no growth or we don't learn nothing about him. He he doesn't even, with the exception of that one scene that they shot uh, for uh, for the TV version where he's wearing a, a turtleneck sweater, he wears pretty much the same clothes all through the, this movie. The entire series. <laughs> the entire series, yeah. <laughs> and sort of made me wonder, what is, uh, is, there, is there something uh, that can be explored there? Uh, what is the morning routine of Michael Myers versus Dr. Loomis? Yeah. Uh, do, do they both have a similar, um, you know, they get up and shower and shave and <laughs> make a little breakfast, have a cup of coffee and lay out their clothes for the day? I mean, the fact that Dr. Loomis has gone through all of this and yet he seems very, you know, he's always oppressed and cleaned and he always has his tie knotted up. Uh, that's extraordinary. But as I say, he, he, he and the other adults are just sort of like... Uh, uh, stand-ins for characters they just represent yeah this are, this one here's the this is before the loomis character went completely batshit crazy at what point does he do that and i guess after part two he's just like it's just he goes off the rails crazy and this one here is just more i mean he's he's definitely involved more than what i think a psychiatrist would be if uh mental if one of his patients escaped and was <laughs> <laughs> killing people but definitely a better character in this movie yeah well i i mean i would prefer that he stays perpetually on on the edge of insanity rather than yeah. actually lapsing over um again it, it's sort of i mean people always say that they want to see something different but i, I guess if you're going to like the sixth or seventh halloween movie you're really not being honest with yourself yeah. if you're saying you're looking for something different <laughs> I mean, here's a movie that has, I, I understand the most recent one ends with Laurie Batmano Amano fighting with uh, Michael Myers once again. And the thought occurred to me, if you're in your 60s and you're still uh, fighting with the masked killer that you were fighting with when you were in high school, yeah. <laughs> you got to really re-examine your life choices. You yeah. know? Something is wrong that a woman who's, and I think, Jamie Lee Curtis is 63 or so. Uh, and yet here she is once again uh, grappling with the same masked killer who, you know, uh, is in her age range, presumably. Yeah. is not quite 60, 63, but I assume he's not that much younger than her. So that's kind of a, an extraordinary thing. You know, we think that that would slow them down a little bit when they're doing these sequels. And they might say, yeah, maybe we can't can't keep doing these and maybe that's one of the reasons why they seem to be setting up some sort of transition to a new uh, a new franchise yeah but i don't think that's ever going to work because uh people aren't interested in i mean they didn't come, become interested in this film uh just by chance there were specific things that they wanted to see and they want to see in the sequels so you can't just say, well, we're discarding that. I mean, they've already done it once in this series, right? Halloween 3. Halloween 3, which is my second favorite <clears throat> Halloween yeah. movie. A lot of people, I really enjoyed it. A yeah. lot of people are very fond of that film, myself included. But it was a 
bomb at the box office. I was there. See, for some reason, I kept, I always kept remembering it was just a straight to TV thing. <laughs> like I never um, remembered it coming out of the theaters. It might just as well have gone straight to TV. Yeah. Uh, it, it had a little bit of nudity, I think, now that I think about it. Yeah, it might have. I haven't watched it in a while, yeah. but uh, I guess what they do with, with those movies is if they, you know, they're primarily targeting teen audience, but they throw in enough objectionable stuff to get an, an R. I don't, I don't know, Pete, if uh, Halloween 3 got an R, but usually that's the routine that they do. They, they uh, adjust the amount of objectionable stuff to get the rating that they, what they, yeah. that they want. If Halloween 3 got a PG, then that might be another reason why it was unsuccessful at the box office. But I assume Halloween got an R, right? Uh, it should have, especially yeah, for, the year, for the year that it came out. Yeah, I would think the breast nudity by itself and the uh it's certainly adult content in the film yeah, even though it's yeah it's rated r right so uh yeah well anyway uh, simplicity i guess is the thing is the key is uh, the uh, and location 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 yeah <laughs> that's what you really you know the I'm seeing now that they're talking about how uh, there's a great explosion in the number of these LED screens that they're using, uh, the studios are putting in. Uh, is it LED? I guess it is LED. Uh, yeah, some kind of, yeah, some kind of gigantic screen that they stand right. in front of. And they're, Well, they're, I guess they're 360 degrees, or do, do they just stand in front of it and, and they rotate it? I don't know how it's, it works exactly. I think it's, I think the screens are pretty much in like an entire room. Like a, right. you know, almost yeah, almost an I entire see. wall, right. and then the uh, I guess there's like a computer that's hooked up to it that they that's generating the backgrounds and has like a camera. So the camera within the program moves right on the yeah. screen, which it, helps. It I guess. moves in 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 unison with the background imagery. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it sounds like a great innovation, but it seems now that uh, there's uh, too many of these uh, studios that they're uh the people uh, there aren't enough people who know how to use them i guess yeah. is the <laughs> and one of the people that they were interviewing on this uh i guess it was the hollywood reporter that was talking about this um they uh, it was a director and they said you know he really misses um being on location because there's so much you can get from being on location so much that helps the film not every movie uh, it takes place in outer space Right. So why you know if you if there's some possible location you can go to, why not go there instead of faking it? And I I think that's absolutely true. I mean the whole reason why movies like Halloween and Night of the Living Dead were so successful and Texas Chainsaw Massacre is because they were largely shot in real places. Night of the Living Dead entirely shot in a real place. Halloween may have had a few shots here and there that were done. On a, on a soundstage well, somewhere, so, I don't yeah. know. But uh, for the most part, it's uh, it feels like it was shot in a real place, which is what that's the important thing. Yeah. Uh, so, so what else can we say about it? It's, um, I mean, it's uh, it seems to be. I, I don't know how you what you're thinking is. What what would you say about uh, how uh, is this a movie about children? growing up because these are 17 year olds right there high school students uh, and it was, well, i mean it's, it's got the younger kids in it but i don't believe that it's about them or even for them really for the, for the, anything younger than teenagers at the time so it's it's 
but it, but it certainly has uh, several kids in it as well. She's yeah, yeah. babysitting kids. So you're sort of seeing, uh, you get uh, the center stage is occupied by folks who are 17 and younger. And uh, the adult characters get much less screen time and they're much less interesting or, or uh, it's harder to warm up to them very much because they're, yeah. they're kind of flat characters. Uh, no, no there, there was one when I watched it today, there was a scene or a couple of scenes that happened that for some reason I really ever thought about before. And that's whenever um, Lori is trying to tell her friend that she's, you know, I'll see, I've seen a guy behind the bushes. He's following us and, she, and her friend's like, all right, you're crazy. And then later on, whenever the, the little kid, I guess his name is Tommy. Right. Whenever he's telling her, hey, the boogeyman's outside. And she, now now all of a sudden she's like, oh, you're crazy. That's right. And the yeah. boogeyman's not real. So they're kind of like a, almost like a contrast there between the the two ages of, right. you know, the of the characters she, and how she, they're reacting to seeing something like that. Right. right. And nobody believing you. Well, uh, it's funny that uh, that Lori uh, didn't notice that herself, that she was saying the yeah. same thing to the kid that she had, <laughs> had said to her. Uh, Lori seems to be one of a number of characters that have names that start with L in, right. uh, in the credits. I don't know why that would be. Uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who was the daughter of... of uh, Janet Lee, she certainly lasts much longer in this movie than, than Janet Lee did. Yeah, and that's why I think that's why Carpenter wanted to get her in this movie was to kind of have that connection to the Hitchcock. It does work, and she's certainly the best actor in the movie. Yeah, uh, by far. Um, I like P.J. Souls, but she's not necessarily a master thespian. Uh, they portray the uh, the uh, uh, her friends as kind of in an exaggerated way, almost like in a sitcom way. Yeah. I was going to say the Annie character, which is who we were trying to think of before. Right, right. Uh, she was, that actress was, she was all right. The character was a little bit annoying when she started complaining to the kids about the dog. Lindsay, Lester's barking again and getting on my nerves again. Oh, never mind. Guess you found a hot date. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I wonder if he didn't intentionally get them to go a little bit over the top, just so that we wouldn't be too bothered when they get when they get killed. <laughs> get killed. Yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, thank God she's gone. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, the showing up with the sheet and the glasses struck me as being an unusually uh, uh, amusing. Uh, yeah, because it, you, when you think about it, you're like, oh my, that's so out of character from Michael Myers. And you're like, well, wait a minute, what is this character? <laughs> well, that's true. Is it, yeah. is it or is it not really out? You know what I'm saying? Is it something he would do? But certainly in the context of this movie, yeah. he, 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 that he would go through all that trouble uh, seems uh, unusual. But then again, you're right. He's a guy that actually dragged around the, uh, the gravestone. The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then lugged it upstairs to. Right. Which was something, another thing we don't get to see. Yeah. Uh, and actually uh, brought that other, I mean, he killed PJ Souls in that room, put her in the closet and brought the Annie character all the way up here and put it. So I wonder if maybe, maybe the Annie character resembled his sister more than uh, PJ Souls maybe. character, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Well, he also somehow managed to tack that guy upside down. Inside upside down, the yeah. 
which is a pretty good trick. Um, the uh, uh, f director of Black Christmas, Bob Clark, uh, there was some question as to whether or not he was suggesting that John Carpenter got the idea for Halloween from him. Right. But apparently he said, even though they did have a discussion about it, apparently, uh, and he suggested what ended up being the basic idea of Halloween to, to Carpenter, apparently the script with that title came to him uh, from another source. So it wasn't a question of John Carpenter having a chat with Bob Clark and then running yeah. off and stealing his ideas. <laughs> stealing his movie, yeah. And in fact, Clark said there were a lot of people going around at that time with scripts with that name, and he was surprised that nobody had done it before, you know. It is kind of odd that this was the first time anybody thought to do a horror movie, a real horror movie, set at Halloween. You would have thought that yeah. it'd be no brainer. Oh, and so the reference. And it wasn't even originally called Halloween, it was called The Babysitter Murders. Oh really? Yeah. And then they oh. changed it, I guess. Good change. I don't know. I don't yeah, I don't know who I don't know who came up with the change, but yeah, definitely definitely worth it. Yeah, that, that makes a big difference. I think to be able to start the movie with that glowing jack-o'-lantern and be able to zoom in on its eye. Yeah. Especially since they're they were clever enough to make sure that it's a kind of an imperfect jack-o'-lantern with the eye <laughs> yeah. socket cut too low. Uh that really, you know, it sets the stage. And the idea that you would spend that much time at the beginning of the film uh tracking in on on a pumpkin uh just to give people you know to get people in the right frame of mind to give them that that mood or that feeling well, it works i mean it's not one of these hurry up and move along opening credits i enjoy it well that's one of the reasons why i'm so surprised that uh, the level of, of affection that people seem to have for it because so often you hear folks horror movie fans saying oh they don't want to see you know they want to get to the action you know they don't want to yeah. see long dialogue scenes and whatnot this has it takes its time it takes quite a long time to get to uh to, to any real action and when it gets to the action the action isn't really that explicit yeah so so there's something going on here that people enjoy more than just it being a, a gory uh you know splatter type film uh I guess, I don't know if there's been any sort of official declaration of this, but Jamie Lee Curtis counts as the first final girl. Is that the... Uh, I'm, I guess she would understand? be. Yeah. Well, I guess that's some distinction. She went on and she did... Unless, well, unless Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out first, then it would have been mm -hmm. the I, Sally I, character. I think the... Uh, I don't remember the Sally character's... Uh, uh, personal conduct but in this movie it seems that the and in many of the films that followed uh that imitated this film the idea that it's the girl who isn't sleeping around that survives yeah <laughs> uh so i don't know if that was uh the case with the texas chainsaw massacre girl uh but uh yeah i mean it's it's a it's an entertaining movie it's perfect for this time of year and uh it, 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 I guess we won't hold it against it that it led to so many inferior, you know, uh, sequels, sequels yeah. and and imitations. <clears throat> I assume that Friday the Thirteenth came out after this, right? Um, yeah, Friday the so, Thirteenth didn't come out till eighty. So that's right away, somebody taking the basic idea and and uh, making a, a less interesting movie, a less. Uh, 
it's a, it's a, I guess astute business, uh, you know, astute filmmaking from a business standpoint, but it's not really uh, not really as good a film as this, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't know if you're a fan of the Friday the Thirteenth uh, movies, or if those are movies that we just enjoy as. They're yeah, they're, they're yeah, there's they're just boobs and blood. That's right. all those are. <laughs> sort of like fa fa horror fast food. Yeah. Well, I guess there's a place for that. Um, and I guess we're still seeing uh, movies like that coming out, uh, aside of the Halloween, uh, most recent Halloween sequel. There's still plenty of slasher movies. Slasher movies, yeah. Movies, you know? So there must be some life in that. I wonder why, though. <laughs> I wonder why there's a, an interest, I wonder why there's a, uh, an excitement about serial killer characters. I mean, it's even true about tv shows and films that are about actual serial killers which oh yeah like the recent uh dahmer might, series might be one of their biggest hits uh so well go figure yeah <laughs> i gather that your this is a particular favorite of yours so i should be i should be asking you to sing its praises oh yeah i think it's great i mean like i said the the michael myers character just being the not know anything about him he doesn't talk the mask is probably the best mask out of uh, you know i know i know not all of them wear masks but it's, it's definitely the best mask right it's that plain white face it's that that that's just real creepy when you think about that instead of and, you know as opposed to like the hockey mask or yeah. or anything like that it's just the best one um the fact that it's not just constantly him just killing everybody. You know what I'm saying? You've got all this buildup and tension and you can just sit back and kind of just enjoy these people enjoying Halloween. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of like that. It's like vicariously uh, experiencing a Halloween in a, in a small town. Yeah. Uh, it's actually the kind of Halloween that I never really had. And I know so, we never really had that either. Uh, it's uh, like a fantasy, like almost like a Steven Spielberg uh, Halloween. Um, Although we probably did, we probably did watch the thing from another world. Yeah, I probably did around too. that time. Yeah, <laughs> that's always been one of my favorite uh, Halloween films as well. But I don't know if I, I would be watching Forbidden Planet as a Halloween. Yeah, film. that's <laughs> probably the only movie they had the rights to those two yeah. films. Yeah, I think another, another thing that probably helps this movie is the lower budget. I think when you have more money, you try to do more. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, they just went out and got a Captain Kirk, Kirk mask for a dollar and painted it white. I mean, that's, you wouldn't have got that if they would have had more money. Because <laughs> they would have had true. to, they would have went to somebody to design something that didn't look as good. Right. Well, that idea that Carpenter had, which I assume is based to a certain extent on the thing, which is why the thing is in this movie, of the shape, the roughly human shape. Yeah. Uh, that it doesn't have a lot of detail that that when a, when you see that that has to be frightening you know, because yeah. you know a human being standing by the door and somebody shouldn't be there you know that they can't you know they can't have good intentions if you see a figure like that in the doorway you know you're in trouble right yeah and that that's what makes it work too like whenever she's there and he's in the closet and just slowly starts moving into the light, yeah, and it just like the light catches that mask right, and it's just it's yeah. creepy as hell. <laughs> right. Yeah, that is very effective. Yeah, but uh, the funny thing is, when Carpenter went on and did his own version of the thing, he went 
in a completely different different direction, direction yeah so <clears throat> i guess he felt he had explored the the shape as much as he could uh, but uh yeah i guess in the at the end of the day the scariest thing uh if we're honest about it, the scariest thing is you know a human being a man especially oh yeah you know that's uh with a you know with no reasoning behind it that's what makes it even worse <laughs> like right. you don't know why right the fact that he's just doing these things for for his own pleasure or for because he feels compelled to do it uh that makes him that much more frightening right you can't reason with him yeah. as i think uh dr loomis says uh Pleasance apparently took the plot after Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing both turned turned it down. down. Yeah. It's not surprising to hear that Christopher Lee uh, turned it down because he pretty much made a career out of turning down good roles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, he did say that he that was the biggest mistake he ever made in his professional life. I guess he because he saw that Donald Pleasance, who took the job uh, to pay pay off his alimony, I guess. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then got um, pretty much the rest of his life got. Um, increasingly big, bigger checks, bigger checks as he did movies, all the sequels. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so that didn't do, he didn't he didn't do anything else. He was just Doctor Loomis after this, right? He didn't do any other well, movies. Well, I think he might have done a few <laughs> others, but this. I mean, let's be honest. If he got this, what else do you need to do? Right? Uh, he looks like he was still in decent physical shape. Uh, doesn't look ill or anything like that. Right. But apparently, he took the part. Not just because uh, uh, of the money, he got $20,000 to do it, but also because his daughter said that she liked the music that Carpenter had done for Assault on Precinct 13, which was yeah. uh, apparently, uh, uh, was it Lalo Schifrin uh, that he was imitating in that? I haven't. Lalo Schifrin is the guy that, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He's the guy that did the music for. Uh, Mission Impossible, and yeah. also for the uh, Dirty Harry movies, or at least a few of them. Uh, so I guess John Carpenter was channeling him, and, and that's uh, that score impressed uh, Donald Pleasance's daughter. So I guess that's the way things work. You get good actors not because they're available or because they like your script, but because their daughter says right, because they're kids that and they do it. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, Peter Cushing, I can sort of understand because I guess he had already done Star Wars by this time. So he probably didn't need to do, uh, and he might have been actually, uh, you know, ill, yeah. ill enough so that it would have been difficult for him. Especially uh, there's a certain amount of physical activity, so that probably would have been difficult for him. But um, uh, hard to understand, again, why Christopher Lee uh, was such a difficult person. Uh, they they claim that it was they weren't offering enough money twenty thousand yeah. I guess was not enough. Nick Castle, who plays uh, Michael Myers, apparently he uh, went on to a career as a director himself. Yeah, he directed the the Halloween three. Oh, did he? Yeah. Yeah. I know he also did. Uh, was that was that Nick Castle that did Halloween three? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, well, I see his credits include. The last Starfighter. And as Dennis the director? Dennis, as the director, yeah. Okay. Um, and the budget of the film, $320,000. So, you know, not a micro-budget film, but uh, no. 
and apparently the first one of the first films to make use of the uh, Panaglide system, which is, I guess, Panavision's version of a Steadicam. Yeah, I think half. I think half the budget went to that. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it works. It's quite effective. When I was watching the movie this time, I wasn't aware of that fact, and I was watching it, and I was saying, "See, you don't need a." A steady cam. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, you do. That's they were using the equivalent of a steady cam. He, right? he even got a little bit of the uh, lens flare on some of the uh, porch lights when they were out filming outside. I thought that gave a nice little touch. That that always adds to it, you know. Well, all those things give you the feeling that you're in a real place, which makes the whole thing yeah. much more enjoyable. The fact that it takes place all in one night, similar to um, *Night of the Living Dead*. It gives you that feeling of uh, there's no escape, you know. Even though, you know, if we really want to be picky about it, logically, there should have been an escape. Oh, yeah. Uh, there really is no reason why one person, no matter how strong he is, it can terrorize an entire community and nobody can do anything about it. Especially when you set up the town as like being this nice, quiet little town where <clears throat> there's, you know, Everybody's nice. And then she goes beating on somebody's door to get help, and they just, like, turn yeah. the light back off and shut the line, like, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> well, it goes to show you. They look nice, yeah. but I suppose they might say, well, they just figured it was somebody doing a Halloween prank, so that's why they could Could have been, yeah. But, but still, you're right. It, uh, I, I like how, how he really uh, stretches that uh, scene of uh, her trying to get back into the house banging on the door and yelling to the kid and michael myers is he seems to come takes him forever to get across that street you know yeah <laughs> but uh, the suspense certainly you know it, it reaches a peak there so yeah all, all in all this is you know i can see why people are fond of it and uh, i wish more horror filmmakers would would focus on you know creating atmosphere and, and drawing from the location because it seems to me that in the 80s they started to move away from that they started yeah. you know, like had charles band's films and, and other companies that said well we gonna we have to meet the demand there's such a tremendous demand for director video stuff that we'll start setting up our own studios and shoot things on sound stages and a lot of those movies are are you know damaged by that i think yeah you know, if you if you take a simple concept and you do, and you don't shoot it in a real place, then what do you what do you have really? You know, you know, and they almost start to feel like Ed Wood movies. Oh yeah. You know, there's a, a flatness and a blandness to them. Uh, but anyway, this one. I was, was, I was reading here that the first mask they were going to go with was a Don Post Emmett Emmett Kelly smiling clown mask that they well, put uh, frizzy red hair on. I don't, and think, em, that, I don't em, think that would have worked. Emmett Kelly objected. <laughs> well, I think it didn't. Uh, then they have a clown mask in. Uh, oh no, that was a Groucho Marx mask in Terror Train. Yeah, that was a Groucho Marx. Yeah, but uh, and there was another movie. Well, on New Year's Evil, they have a uh, Laurel, Laurel Stan Laurel mask. Stan Laurel, I think is what yeah. the, is what the character yeah. wears. But nothing well, beats the Captain Kirk mask. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, they do touch on the clown mask, though, right? That's an idea. That yeah, they, that's what the kid wears. That's what he wears when he's a kid. Right? He puts the so, clown mask on. So you could say the current interest in killer clowns might 
have, have, have its to, roots in that. We'll go back to Halloween. <laughs> they shot it in 20 days. That's kind of kind of shocking. Well, but I swear, I, I swear when you watch it from the when you see Jamie LaCurse at the beginning to where you see it, I think I swear she aged. <laughs> she, looked, she just looked older in the, at the end of the movie. <laughs> well, maybe the experience of uh, making the film. Although from what I hear from the uh, behind the scenes stuff that we uh, see, seems like everybody got along. It was an easy, yeah. relatively easy shoot. Uh, but uh, I like the fact that she looks, uh, you know, unmade up. I think that's another thing that's important in these films is not to have the most perfect people. Yeah. They, sh they should look like folks that could conceivably have still Exist, be in high school. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and very often they they wouldn't they won't do that. I think you see that particularly like when they do remakes of things like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Rather than picking people that are just average people, they pick supermodels. It seems and everybody's dressed in the you know. Uh, latest fashions or yeah you know even the grime and stuff seems to be put on them and to achieve a sort of a sexy cool look rather than just looking like somebody who got attacked by a serial <laughs> <Yeah>. killer <laughs> but uh yeah they uh i the version i watched was the uh, version on uh, blu-ray i guess was put out for the 25th anniversary i'm not sure i think so and they had a thing on on it, and it was very light. It was an Anchor Bay uh, disc, right? Uh, it was very light on extras. Uh, it had the trailer, and I always thought the trailer was very effective. Halloween night, a small American town, fifteen years ago. When I was uh, a young man, when this movie was just coming out. Uh, I went to, uh, I happened to be going on a regular basis to the theater where this film eventually premiered and they ran the trailer and the trailer scared the crap out of me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was almost afraid to go to see the movie because I was afraid that, that it would be really, because by that time, I guess I had already seen uh, Dario Gento's, uh, what's the one he did with the uh, Deep Red. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, that was pretty rough. And, and I, I wasn't really, I mean, I appreciated the filmmaking, but it was pretty hard for me to get through. So I didn't really want to go through that again. And I was almost tempted to stay away from Halloween because it looked from the trailer. <laughs> I have to admit, I was a little disappointed when I first saw it, even though I liked the film overall. Because it didn't really, didn't really terrorize me the way I expected it to. But maybe that's why it's, it, it's remembered fondly. You know, it's, it's not... Uh, too too horrible to watch uh but anyway one of the other uh little uh, extras that they had on on the uh disc was a an hour-long documentary about jamie lee curtis going and doing her first convention oh really uh, uh and, and <laughs> she claimed that it was going to be her first and last she did it for our hound weekend i guess yeah and uh, so this documentary it's just footage following her around, getting in and out of cars and repairing and chatting with the security and, and, and eventually meeting the folks that have come to see her and <laughs> signing their little items. And I have to admit, I thought it made me feel a little depressed, you know, because 
she was doing it for charity so i guess she has a good motive but it's another example of how people's affection for these movies is uh, monetized to the to the limit you know they're they're showing how they're bringing people in and sort of pushing them up against everything curtis taking a picture and pulling them out you know it's done in a nice way uh, and i suppose probably in some instances when they have those conventions it's not necessarily done in a nice way and jamie lee curtis seems like a very nice person but i just uh, i wonder um for me it's a personal thing i always find that that sort of crass commercialism uh, takes some some of the fun out of being a fan you know yeah I suppose you couldn't do it any other way. You couldn't get the people to come. And the big stars are not going to come if they, they can't make a buck off of it. Make some money out of it, yeah. yeah. But still, it, it it diminishes it. And an hour-long documentary about that. It's, it's <laughs> it didn't need to be that long, yeah. Uh, but other than that, there really wasn't anything else on the disc. There was the TV scenes, which really amounted to very little. And they didn't. The, they didn't cut those back into the film. Well, I understand just, that there is a disc where they have a ver, the TV mm-hmm. version and its uh, intact versions uh, edited for, for television with the additional scenes cut in. But the version I was watching was just the uh, theatrical version with the uh, the TV scenes as an extra. It really only amounts to what two or three scenes. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so it's not a tremendous amount of stuff. And nothing that you would feel, you you know, uh, was missed by not, not having it included in the original theatrical release. So uh, the I, are you like most fans and you have a, every different version that's ever been? No, actually at this point, I don't even own a physical oh, really? copy of this one. I was going to pick one up the other day at work. I was like, well, I'll just wait because I know there's going to be, there's, there's going to be at least one more gigantic box set. Which I don't even want the other ones. If I can just own one and three, right. like I don't, I don't even like two. Yeah, a lot of people is, say two is care. like that's when they started doing the whole. Or he's related to her. I'm just what? It's, <laughs> like it's, how how weird is that? It's funny that they made the same uh, choice that uh, <laughs> Star Wars made. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's the only direction that you can go in when you're looking. If you have a limited cast, right? There's only certain a certain number of characters. So you're looking for some way to make it more interesting. And I guess the first thought that occurs to people is let's have them be related in some way. I think I think I read something where he needed to come up with something quick because they were they were wanting to do a part two. And I guess he was drunk one night and that idea came in. That's that's what stuck. So well, see, this is the dangers of drinking. <laughs> <right>? Yeah. <laughs> I just don't think they I just don't think they needed to be related. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really make a tremendous amount of sense. I, I assume a lot of it takes place in the hospital. Yeah, it's pretty much the entire the entire movie is is in the hospital. Kind of hard to understand why they just didn't uh, keep this, preserve the same simplicity. Just have him attacking her in the hospital or, or yeah. stalking her in the hospital. That seems to me that that would be there'd be enough there to fill a two hour movie if you want. Or he gets shot six times. They. They assume he's dead. Take him to the morgue. He's not dead. That that's how he gets to the hospital. So now he's <laughs> now right. he's up and running around and killing everybody else. Well, that is uh, though that does reveal one of the dangers of doing sequels is that uh, when you're watching the first film, this was true of a lot of movies. I think it's probably even true of um, it's certainly true of the Phantasm movies. It's true of Terminator. 
uh, the illogical things in the first film don't come don't come right away. They come yeah. in, in the course of the story. And so if you don't really understand something, it doesn't stop the movie for you because you assume it's going to be resolved before the end of the movie. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But the problem with the sequels is they start with the illogical stuff right in front of you. Like, for instance, how do you explain now that you we we're beginning the movie now? How do you explain the fact that the uh, the serial killer has been shot and stabbed and poked in the eye and he's still yeah. <laughs> up and running around? You know, that's kind of a hard one to get around. And I guess inevitably you have to start looking for some supernatural explanation. Yeah, that's that's how they went with it. It's not like they had a really good ER staff and they managed to resuscitate him. <laughs> yeah, bring him back. <laughs> plucked out all the bullets. And the... So, yeah, that, I, I think it's it's similar to Jaws and The Exorcist. It's not something pro that you probably should be doing sequels to, sequels but to, yeah. the money involved <laughs> makes it absolutely imperative that they do a sequel. And that's why that's what makes the the Friday 13th franchise and the Nightmare on Elm Street. It's just like, I mean, with, with Nightmare on Elm Street, that's kind of different because he's not even a physical character. You know what I'm saying? It's right. all it's supposed to be in the dream world. But with Friday 13th, it's like, okay, so how do we keep bringing this guy back right. <laughs> for the next one? Now he's a zombie and now, you know, then we got to have a girl with psychic abilities who brings him back to life. And just, it just gets too ridiculous. You right. can't just continue to do that. Well, especially for, in the case of the Friday the 13th, uh, the character that became the franchise character wasn't even in the first film. The right? first one, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that is a that's an extraordinary development uh, that they actually managed. They sort of stumbled on the character that would become the, the valuable character. And I guess he, technically he was, but he was just at the end right. of the first one. He wasn't the killer because it was just a dream sequence. At the right. End of the first right. One, so. so they hinted at it, but yeah. uh, but in the in all the sequels, I don't know how many they've done in the years since but uh uh yeah again i i suppose that to a certain extent people who are fa fans of these type of movies it almost is a relief that the movies that the, the sequels that they make are so bad yeah because it doesn't it, it means that your affection and, and your 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 uh, interest in the original film is left i mean if they actually managed even by accident to come up with a better movie it would sort of be sad right so yeah because yeah. you oh i like this one more than the original <laughs> nobody really i won't, wants I won't tell anybody here yeah <laughs> you feel like you're cheating on the on the first film right yeah uh, but uh with the sequels that they because of this problem of trying to come up with some idea that will be as effective as the first film uh, you, there's very little likelihood that anybody's ever going to make something as good as the first film. No. But maybe that's why those films, why the sequels are popular, because people sort of like going to see something that's kind of crappy and, and joking about it uh, with their friends afterwards, you know. Yeah, it makes no sense. You don't have to think about it. Of course, the kills get more. They get more, better kills, and, you know, so it's just like, that's what it becomes. Right. With Halloween, I guess, right from the second film, they were competing uh, with the other with part 13 to that right? point yeah so uh one of the things that you could say was a was a pleasant surprise about the first one that it wasn't too explicit that immediately that was thrown away. <laughs> yeah <laughs> can't, can't do that anymore no taste please yeah <laughs> uh, but uh well 
it's a remarkable thing. And I guess this has been popular all, all over the world, right? I mean, it's uh, it's been a success everywhere. Oh, yeah. I think I saw a, a poster from some, uh, I don't know if it was a Middle Eastern country or Africa or somewhere, uh, one of those hand-painted posters, movie yeah. posters. So I guess it's reached reached out even to places where nobody knows what Halloween is or cares. Because I guess Halloween is stri pretty strictly... Uh, American American uh, holiday. American holiday yeah. I don't even think they celebrate it in the UK, do they? I'm not for sure. I know there, there's probably some countries in some parts of Europe that probably have more primitive versions of what we do here. They would at least know what we're talking about. Yeah. Right. I mean, I doubt that. I don't think they do the candy part of right. it. Trick or treating. And the all trick or treating, that. yeah. But I think I, there's other aspects of Halloween that they, well, that that, they celebrate. That may be the United States' one great contribution to Western civilization. Yeah. <laughs> came up with Halloween, so that's that's one one thing uh, we can say. Yeah. USA, USA. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, it's hard to knock. Uh, like I say, I my personal preference. Uh, I like the fog too, but it, you know, again, I didn't think it was. Uh, in, in the same league as The Thing or, yeah. or the other two films. I think yeah. I'm with you. I think The Thing and Escape from New York are probably my favorite John Carpenter movies. Yeah. And then yeah. The Halloween, just my favorite slasher movie out of all of them. Right. But not my favorite John Carpenter. Yeah, just as a film, it's probably, I mean, I don't even think he would claim that it's his best work. It's just one of the strange things about uh, show business and audience reaction that this happened to be the, the thing that probably he'll be remembered. Yeah, it just worked for, at the time. Right? <laughs> Came along at the perfect time. Yeah, he he hit it big for the first time. I guess the only thing he'd done before this, had he done Elvis? I think he had done the Elvis uh, I know he'd already. I think he'd done the Precinct 13, and I think that oh, may have been That's it. right. Right, Salt on Precinct 13, yes. And yeah, he also I, don't wrote, be, I don't know if he'd done Elvis yet or not. He uh, wrote, uh, oh, Elvis came after Halloween. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he did. Um, he wrote the script for Black Moon Rising, yeah. Tommy Tommy Lee Tommy Lee Jones movie, action movie. So he was a pretty busy guy back then. Right? Yeah. And Dark Star, I guess that was actually officially his first film, although that was like a student film. Uh, Dark Star with Dan O'Bannon, which we yeah. spoke about recently. So, uh, but my feeling is when you get right down to it, the one thing that uh, that is absolutely for the ages that comes from this film is the music the music and the mask yeah and the mask yes <laughs> but the, but the mu music especially because it's so simple you know it's not oh, a very yeah. complex thing and it's so effective and it's, it's sort of similar to the why didn't they ever do a halloween movie before it's like, <laughs> yeah. why didn't anybody ever stumble upon that particular combination of notes and the way it, it's arranged it creates such an unnerving feeling. And at the same time, it's sort of pleasant to listen to. Oh, yeah. It's evocative of of Halloween now. It's almost like Halloween's theme song, literally. Yeah. Uh, the holiday. Yeah. holiday. It, kind of, it kind of reminds me of the Phantasm music a little bit. Yes. Where yes. it's kind of, some, there's something off about it, but it's still enjoyable. It's like music. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I guess uh, those guys were sort of following the lead of... Uh, was it Mike Oldfield, the guy who did Tubula, Tubula Bells? Yeah. Who, who never oh, wanted oh, yeah. his music to be used as horrible <laughs> yeah. 
And I, a goblin always comes to and mind. Goblin, too. right? Yes. Yeah, that that Dawn of the Dead music and all of the uh, Italian Giallo films of, of that time. And there's also speaking of Lilo Schifrin, Schifrin, Schifrin. Um, he wrote a score for it was either Magnum Force, I think it was Magnum Force. That is the most frightening music that ever been used <laughs> in a horror movie. It's got like choral stuff on it, and it's it really sounds like. Uh, uh, what possibly uh, he, he had done for William Friedkin for The Exorcist, which yeah. we, William Friedkin supposedly <laughs> threw out the window. Yeah. But I would have liked to have heard that uh, because uh, that Magnum Force scores. It's funny how sometimes in like crime movies and mysteries, the music can be as effective as as horror movie oh, music, yeah. more effective. Like for instance, um, in many of the episodes of Columbo. Have uh, I guess the uh, the guy is Billy, Billy Goldenberg. I think is the guy that did the music, and very often the music has the same sort of unsettling, mysterious quality to it that you would expect in a horror movie or in an old dark house movie at yeah. least. You know, so that's kind of a funny thing. But I love the music for this. Oh yeah, I guess it was written in a rare five four time signature that I guess he learned from his father. So I guess his father was some kind of oh really composer, oh, wow. musician, and of some sort. Well, he uh, now I guess that he's not making movies as frequently. He seems to have turned his attention entirely to music. And to I music, think, yeah, he's on tour and everything. Right? So, even that's... even done the music for the new Halloween movies that came. Out. Oh, that's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. right? So he's he's keeping his hand in in that respect. But yeah. But Another him. one of his great, like uh, Prince of Darkness, that had a really good score on it too. That's one yeah. of my favorites. Favorite John Carpenter movies. Yeah, that that's an, he he seems to have an understanding of what works. I think also um, maybe we give him a little more room. Uh, we, we're not as critical of his music because we, we like the sound. It always turns up and it's sort of reassuring. <laughs> I love the score for uh, Escape from New York. I used to play that yeah, all the time when I was that's a kid. Good one, yeah, uh, and uh, so yeah, John Carpenter. He uh, he's a, a pretty talented guy. He's got a lot lot going for him. It's too bad that uh you know it seems like at a certain point in his career after the failures of uh box office failures of a few of his films that he became discouraged yeah uh, because uh i mean i, I mean, think i think it's his his fault because he made escape from la and i think that was his downfall <laughs> <laughs> well he did and if you do something I mean, if i had done something like the thing <clears throat> you know i would expect to be you know carried on people's shoulders right? yeah <laughs> and how that come out and just by bad luck you come out i guess the same week or same month as et yeah <laughs> you know that that's just a shame you know it's a and and it, and admittedly it was a difficult movie to watch at that time because it really wasn't in step with the feeling of the time you know yeah. and people were looking for lighter uh, you know, sort of a, a brainless entertainment, uh, and that you know didn't fit the bill. It was very, very rough to watch the first time. I don't know if you remember when, when you first saw that movie, if you saw it in a the theater or you saw it on tape. But uh, that was a real hard movie to watch. You know, it was, it was so grim and so unrelenting. You know? Yeah. And these... I, don't, I don't remember the first time I seen it. I, I know I probably didn't see it in the theater, so it would have been on. You know, rental or just TV or something. Right. Well, I saw it. I first time I saw it was on tape. I rented the tape, 
and I played it at home with my, with my family around it. My father left the room. <laughs> Life is too hard. To yeah. To, and I, I've never seen E.T., so I don't know which one. Oh, my God. Which yeah, one's the right. best one? No. <laughs> well, I I probably would. Uh, I'm a, kind of an outlier. I still have great respect and admiration for Spielberg and for his films. And I think E.T. is a wonderful movie. Uh, it's now the situation is reversed. Now E.T. is the movie that's out of its time. Now, yeah. <laughs> the thing feels more in keeping with our time, and, and it's it, it sort of is um, it belatedly captured the zeitgeist. Yeah. <laughs> E.T. E. seems, maybe because E.T. was such a success, it was imitated to death. Oh, yeah. and, and when that happens, it's hard to watch the original without feeling like you've seen this all before, you know? Yeah, just imagine the uh, <laughs> the blood test scene from the thing is like complete. You could just like that could just be they could be in their testing for the coronavirus during right. the during right. the pandemic. It's the same kind of tension of like who's got it. <laughs> that that is very definitely in step with what we're going through now. And, yeah. and uh, uh, so it, it was unfortunate, and and I was one of apparently three people that showed up for Big Trouble in Little China when that yeah. opened. And uh, I thought that was wonderful when I saw it, and I still think it's wonderful. Uh, but, you know, it just, when well, you'd make two movies like that and you put your heart and soul into it, and you don't, it doesn't yeah. get you any uh, breaks, then I guess you'd become a director for hire, which is what he did. Although he did do Starman, which did get uh, yeah, quite a bit of attention. One, yeah. yeah. So, his, you know, it wasn't such a terrible thing. But he did eventually sort of go back to making uh, relatively low-budget horror movies, which is unusual, right? Yeah, and, I mean, he done he had The Vampires. That was a good one. Uh, Ghost of Mars, I don't know what he was thinking with that. That just was not a good movie altogether. And then Escape from L.A., the only thing that really destroyed it was those horrible green special screen effects, special yeah. effects just brought that movie down. Well, the first movie did not have perfect special effects either, but it, right. it sort of added to it because you understood when you were watching it that it was a low-budget action movie. And But, I mean, even like whenever whenever he's flying into the city, his computer screen, I mean, that's all practical. That was right, like yes. black cardboard or foam that they put right. <laughs> glow-in-the-dark tape on. That looks good. But whenever he's surfing in front of a blue screen, it just... It, that stands yeah. out more worse than well, what <laughs> maybe it's what you said earlier when you have too much money it can yeah, actually too much money, work yeah. against you you know uh, and maybe raised expectations as well the expectations were sky high for that film so yeah it's got to be bigger than our last one no but nobody wants to go watch the escape from new york again right yeah you know. uh, i i've turns out you do though <laughs> well the uh I don't know what Kurt Russell, what sort of shape he's in. I assume he's not ready to do any more, but uh, no. I, I wouldn't mind seeing another one. But the thing that I liked so much about the first movie was that um, it, it had a, a drive to it. You know, you, yeah. you felt like you hit the ground running, you know, <laughs> and it doesn't stop until the end. And uh, uh, the music helps that. And sort of provides like a, gives the film an engine that, that keeps it going, but it it just it, we know what he needs to do. We know that there's a deadline when it needs to be done by, and go. You know? Yep. And he was great in, it, and all the supporting cast was great. Yes. Donald Pleasance, 
Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> I mean, they were all great in it. But, and even though it has a sense of humor, it's, it has some witty stuff in it. Yeah. It's uh, more or less to, meant to be taken seriously. It's just pretty much a straightforward action movie. Whereas I get the impression with uh, Escape from L.A., they really wanted to make it more of a comedy, more obviously a comedy, yeah. more obvious, perhaps even campy. Maybe that's why they thought those special effects would be acceptable, you know. But they're not. <laughs> no. It looks bad. <laughs> it's not what we're going to that type of movie to see. To see yeah. To hear, to hear uh, people who live in Los Angeles make jokes about the town, about the movie industry, uh, which I guess is at least part of what you get in that. <laughs> It just isn't appealing to to the rest of us, you know. And it may simply be the case of the first, second film being too similar to the first. Yeah. And because it doesn't really look like they varied the plot that much, it's just with Escape from L.A. then wasn't as, as engrossing and wasn't as yeah. entertaining. But I won't knock it. Maybe I'll go back to it and discover that I love and it. And try it, yeah. I haven't watched it, it in a long yeah. time. <laughs> and he did do a lot of movies. So it's oh, possible yeah. that there are other films that I overlooked or, you know, didn't think much of when they first came out. And then if I went back to them, I would uh, appreciate them better. The problem with Carpenter is he established a reputation based on Halloween and the fog uh, so early that he was the, the master, you know, yeah. new Hitchcock, that we expected every movie that he did to be, to be horror and, right? and to be even more impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I, I think you could say right from the fog, it wasn't quite living up to yeah. expectations. Right? <laughs> it's just weird to think that you can't go back and top your low budget movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He caught it, gives you billions of dollars, and you just can't capture that same magic that you did with your $300,000 movie. Well, when you look at the fog, for instance, uh, you see how, and that was, I assume, a more elaborate and expensive production, although yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't like a you know, a big budget movie, but yeah, it probably wasn't that big. It's, it's, it still felt small, like a small yeah. cast, small locations, but the right away they're doing much more elaborate stuff, right? I mean, it's taking place in multiple locations and, uh, there's a much larger cast and there's stunt work, like hanging off the, uh, water tower or whatever yeah. it is that scene. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, it feels like a much bigger production, but the story becomes, spread out which is exactly the opposite of what he did in halloween, in right? halloween yeah i mean i always assumed that the fog was going to head in the direction of those ghost uh, pirates or whatever they were right. showing up at the big gala event and killing everybody yeah. i thought that that was going to be the climax of the movie <clears throat> And what they do instead, because that would be rather expensive to shoot, yeah. <laughs> they take their central characters and they drive them away to a more remote location. So the rest of the movie plays out as a more contained thing. Contained, yeah. And that was a disappointment to me. I, I assume the audience felt the same way. I don't know. For the first, that's the first movie I saw in the theater. I still yeah. remember seeing it in the theater. <laughs> so I must have been five, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember what year it came out in, but I remember this—the ending of uh, them chopping off Hal Holberg's head was always yes. shocking. That's always a good. Yes. To me, that's still a good ending. Oh yeah, it. it uh, Him clutching onto that cross. <laughs> <laughs> if you can, and Hal Holbrook is always entertaining. Oh yeah, in those roles, uh, uh, he certainly was important to 
the success of Creepshow. Creepshow, so yeah. <laughs> he, he did a lot of good work back around that time. Uh, but uh, yeah, I understand that the fog needed to have extensive reshoots because after he finished it, uh, he, he and I guess the distributor uh, decided it just wasn't scary enough. Right. So they went back and they added in a lot of extra stuff, a lot of stuff that actually now we would say is the movie, you know, yeah. <laughs> sort of uh, added in later. Uh, but uh, well, the thing, uh, I guess, was it the thing? No, Escape from New York followed that, right? I guess it was yeah. The Fog and then Escape from New York. Escape from New York, uh, you know, that certainly, you know, he did himself proud on that one. Oh, yeah. And then eventually, uh, the thing, uh, which I uh, imagine is probably his best film overall. Uh, so yeah, he's uh, he's had an impressive career. God knows if there's still some possibility of, of him coming back and coming up with a new idea that would actually make a good movie. I don't know. I don't know. I figure he's probably done with that though. He's probably just sticking to the music. Yeah, and he gets a check every time they make a remake of his movies. remake. Yeah. <laughs> You know, he doesn't care how bad those are. <laughs> yeah, I guess he he gets it's the best of both worlds. He gets the yeah. money, and he doesn't have to worry about accepting any of the blame for. Yeah, uh, they can say, "Well, I didn't do that." <laughs> um, I, I saw some re interview recently where they were asking him about uh, elevated horror, and uh, he, he said he, he didn't know what the fuck they were talking yeah. about. <laughs> So perhaps he's not keeping up on the latest releases. Yeah, maybe that's just as well. Anyway, I don't know. He, he, every time I see him, always I, I think he always comes off as, to me, just going by the way he looks and talks sometimes, almost like kind of. If you met him, I feel like he would be kind of like, I'm 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 above you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like don't well, bother me, go away. <laughs> well, I've seen him in some instances when he's talking to fans, where you know at the conventions and yeah. whatnot. Where he's he's certainly blunt and straightforward, and people <laughs> yeah. say things that he disagrees with. He'll tell them to go fuck themselves. Yeah, but, uh, but he's not. It doesn't seem to be somebody who does who says things uh, just to be cruel or right, to yeah. humiliate people. But uh, I sort of, with recent experiences and with all the experiences I've had up to this point in all, all my creative ventures. I sort of can understand why people end up behaving that way, you know, yeah. because it is so exhausting to have to deal with all the folks that seem to think they know better than you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're coming to you and they're giving you money to make something and then they're second guessing you or, uh, you know, fucking things up for you. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's very frustrating, you know, but that's the business, I guess. Yep. Anyway, so, so Halloween, do you recocommend people watch Halloween? Oh very Halloween? much. Not that my recommendation <laughs> is necessary. I'm sure yeah. people are probably they're probably watching that now instead of watching Probably. Yeah. This, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, I recommend this. I can't offer any opinion about any of the sequels. I saw Halloween 2 when it played on TV. I don't really remember it that well other than not liking it. Halloween 3, as I think I mentioned to you uh, in a previous episode, I, I worked at a theater where that premiered, so I've seen that many, many times. Yeah. Uh, and I had the whole theater to myself to watch it because nobody <laughs> showed up. Um, and I like that. I like that 
when it came out, but I understood why it wasn't popular because it didn't have the franchise character in it. Um, the other sequels I haven't seen and I'd have no desire, to be honest. And I, I think uh, Rob Zombie, although he seems like a talented guy and an admirable person in many ways, uh, I think he made uh, sort of a cardinal mistake of trying to expand on Michael Myers' backstory and his yeah. reboot, which just, uh, my feeling is that that just is the wrong direction to go in with a character yeah. like this. Well, it doesn't, it, like I said, it doesn't work for this movie. Like this movie, the less you know about Michael Myers, that that's that's what makes it good. When Rob Zombie done, done his and he done this backstory, this little kid's upbringing, all that, it works for that, for his movie. Mm. So I like, I like the first one. I like, uh, Season of the Witch, Part Three, and I like I like both of Rob Zombie's Halloween's. Right. That's it. That's the only ones though. Well, I guess that's not too it. bad when you stop and think. Of, a lot of franchises that have gone on as long as Halloween has don't even have that many uh, good yeah. entries. So that's. But you would say generally you feel the first one is still the best one. Yeah, the first one's still the best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. So I'm not missing too much by. Uh, not, uh, not checking out the other ones. Although maybe I'll give Rob Zombies a, a, a whirl one of these yeah. days. I'm sure they're on streaming somewhere. Oh, I'm sure, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, yes. Yeah, I definitely recommend Halloween. And uh, I recommend the soundtrack as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. So. Yeah, I recommend you watch it at Halloween. I recommend you watch it at Christmas during the summertime. <laughs> you can watch it anytime. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose so. It's most effective at Halloween, though. I think uh, it's one of those things that just seems—it seems right. It's such a perfect uh, uh, evocation of the Halloween yeah. spirit that uh, you know it's it's ideal for it, and its simplicity makes it great for watching on TV or you know if you have parties or things like that. Oh, because, you just put it on the background. Right. It's not something you have to spend a lot of time listening to the dialogue, <laughs> yeah. right? Everybody knows the story and it's pretty straightforward. So you know but with the time frame that all the sequels came out in, I'm surprised there wasn't a three D version. Yeah, that is like funny. a Halloween three D. <laughs> well, uh I assume that the uh, Friday the thirteenth probably made Friday quite a bit of money with their yeah, they had one. Uh Nightmare Elm Street had a three D movie. <clears throat> well, I'm not a fan of 3D, so I, I'm, I'm not sorry that they didn't do it. But <laughs> yeah. you're right, it is kind of odd that they didn't give it a try. <clears throat> and I guess the only thing left to do would be to go to space. That's right, yes. <laughs> Maybe battle, uh, 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 what's what's the other character? Jason in space. Jason. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, something to look forward to. They'll, they'll probably get <laughs> yeah. around to that before. <laughs> they'll, yeah, they'll get to it. Now that Tom Cruise is going to start shooting movies in space. In space, there we go. And we had William Shatner, uh, the the source of this Michael Myers mask. He took a trip into space recently. All coming together. <laughs> yeah, so that's the direction everything has to go in. Yep. But, so uh, where can everybody find your movies at for Halloween? I recommend yours too. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. And I, I imagine both of them would probably make pretty decent uh, Halloween fare if... if if you you know go in with low expectations <laughs> uh, demon resurrection is uh my zombie movie and sleepless nights is my vampire movie and they're both on amazon and uh sleepless nights is also free on plex tv with more platforms coming soon presumably and uh, demon resurrection is up on several platforms 
Momento, Momento is the most is recent that a new one. one. <laughs> That's a new one. Uh, Roku and, and TV and uh, uh, Tubi. Tubi, yeah, I guess, Tubi. is the, Tubi. That's Tubi. the big yeah. one. Yeah. So <laughs> if people do a search on Demon Resurrection, they'll find that. It'll find it. Yeah. Quite a few places. I noticed Google does that now. If you search for a movie in Google, over here on the right hand side, it tells you everywhere you can stream it. <laughs> right. It's very convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, hopefully more streaming things will be coming yeah. in the future. So I feel like if we get any more streaming services, Disney's going to come through and buy them all. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm actually surprised. <laughs> how How is it possible that these services could all be making money? But I guess they are. You know, oh, yeah. It uh, may be one of those instances sort of like, early in the years of VHS rentals where a whole bunch of stores will open up and then over time close to down to, right? to the one local right. <laughs> every town had one rental store. Or you'll have like a big chain that buys yeah, up all that buys all up all yeah. Stores. <clears throat> so uh that probably that's the process that will assuming that the world doesn't end through nuclear disaster, yeah, that, yeah. that's the process that we'll be going through. Looks like it could be a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> seems seems like a, uh, hopefully a remote possibility, but yeah. we're closer to it now than we have been in the past. So, yeah. so uh, it's a good time to watch a serial killer movie. There you go. <laughs> raise, raise our spirits. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a good episode. And until next week, we will continue to watch The Good, The Bad, and The Cheaply Made. Thanks. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. <laughs>